Good morning, Valley Point Church, and happy Memorial Day weekend. This weekend, we should all take a moment and thank the Lord for the many brave men and women who have served our great country and are now deceased. Their sacrifice is not forgotten, and we should not take it for granted. And in addition to this, I hope that you've been able to spend some extra time with family and friends. I think it also honors the memory of those who have served to enjoy the freedom that their sacrifice allows for us. The summer, it's practically upon us. We just have a few more weeks of Moses in May and a little bit in June before we transition into our summer theme. So last Sunday, Pastor Eric walked through the first four of the Ten Commandments. We discovered that these commandments are more than just a list of rules to follow. The commandments are a way for us to get to know God, what he is like, what he values, and what he wants for us. See, the thing about these laws is that they were not given to restrict what we can enjoy, but a roadmap to prevent us from being enslaved to sin. Just as the Israelites were a slave to the Egyptians, the Lord told them that unless they avoided sin, they would end up being just as enslaved as they were before. Not by the Egyptians, but enslaved and held captive by the power that sin has to overcome us. And we learn that the first four commandments dealt with our vertical relationship with God, how he wants us to honor him and to keep him at the center of our lives. And we'll see today that the remaining six deal with our horizontal relationships. God begins to lay out how he expects us to relate with those around us our closest relationships, and our casual relationships. Now, before we read through these commandments and discuss them together, I want to take a moment and encourage you to not dismiss these today. We can read things like, do not murder. Okay, got it. Do not steal. Yeah. Don't lie about somebody. Well, okay, I I might kind of do that sometimes, but come on, this stuff is pretty obvious. But stop and consider this. First, God doesn't waste our time. He would not have taken the effort to display these commands without a significant and impactful purpose. To brush these off as an old school dated set of obvious rules is kind of a gross oversimplification. As Jesus states later, while he was on earth, these commands can be summed up with two profound statements. And we find these in Matthew chapter 22. It reads this, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. So this kind of wraps up the first four commands. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is where we're going to find ourselves today. This is kind of what wraps up the final six commands. And then he says the entire law. And all of the demands of the prophets, talking about the whole Old Testament, they're all based on these two commandments. We're actually going to spend our summer months looking into this entire dialogue that Jesus is having and what the full implications are for us. But for today, let's look at how Jesus sums up these last six commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. So now... As we look at these individual commands, 
Let's place them within the lens of how Jesus later frames these ideas. These are not just a set of basic rules or guide to a particular group of uncivilized people. See, Jesus helps us understand that God didn't just throw out a bunch of random rules. The concept behind each one carved in these stones long, long ago transcended its contemporaries and would cut to the heart of every modern struggle and relational tension. Remember, these next six commands relate to our relationships with each other. Before we launch into today's text, here's our big idea for today. Following God's commands leads to a peaceful and fulfilled life. I think most of us would not argue with that statement, at least theoretically. However, the truth is we simply do not act in ways that agree with that statement. This isn't to say that we cannot achieve some level of peace and some level of fulfillment apart from living out God's commands, but it will always fall short of his best for us. That is what we're going to see today. So let's read. We'll read all the remaining six commands, and then we'll individually deal with all of them and how they particularly apply to our living today. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. Verse number 12 says, Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or if you think you've gotten away with it, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. It covers it all there. So let's first look at the fifth command. Honor your father and mother. See, This is the only command of the later six that is stated positively. The other notable element unique to this command is that there is a promise attached to it. As Paul later points out in one of his letters to the church in Ephesus, he says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on the earth. There's also an assumption with this commandment. Notice that the command is not given to the parents. It's given to the children. So the assumption here is that it is safe for the child to trust and obey their parent. It's assumed that we as parents are going to be living in an upright and honorable way. It's assumed that we should know better and that we would be following these commands ourselves so that we display the proper example of what we are instructing in a godly manner to our kids. Not that we never falter or fail or we don't always get this right, but that our decisions and our leadership within the home is based on a desire to please God. As you become an adult, you start to have different kinds of conversations with your parents. 
Now, one of the things that my parents later told me is that as they were raising me and my two brothers, they always tried to make their decisions based on what they believed the Lord wanted for our family. I see, we don't always get this right. We don't always know what the Lord wants. However, when there is a genuine desire to please him, and we commit as parents to stay true to that belief, we can find success within our families. This command sits centrally within the list of 10. God is reaffirming his initial plan for creation that the family unit carries a heavy responsibility. The children are to obey and honor their parents. Parents are to be honorable. When the family is functioning as God designed it, the parents are to be a representative of God's love to their kids. When this occurs, kids develop a healthy balance of love and respect for God because they see that represented and their parents. Parents have the power. We all have power over our kids, regardless of the positive or negative relationship. Because negatively, we can spend our entire lives trying to live up to an unrealistic expectation. Or we can spend a lifetime trying not to be like our parents. However, in a positive relationship, a child can gain self-confidence in their abilities, confidence in their personalities, and confidence in their sexuality. Do they learn how to form relationships, to make wise choices, and to choose good friends? In the family, it's been under attack by Satan since God established it in Adam and Eve. He lies, he deceives, He tries to poison our relationships within our families because he knows that by doing this, he can cause the greatest amount of disruption in the world. It was true then, it's true now. So children, teenagers, you want life to go well for you? Then honor your parents. Now, this does not include abusive situations or times when you might be asked to violate God's commands, but in all other things, obey your parents, honor your parents. It was Mark Twain that said when he was 14, he couldn't believe how little his dad knew. But at 21, he couldn't believe how much his dad had learned in the last seven years. Plainly stated, teenagers You don't know what's best for you. You just don't. And your job isn't to prove that your parents are wrong or old-fashioned or too strict or too out of touch. Your job is to honor them with obedience. Parents, it's our job to direct our kids in the ways of the Lord. We're accountable for that. One last thing to, to kids and to teenagers, please don't make life-altering decisions as a young person. Seek wise counsel from your parents. See, no one is looking out for you like they are. Society, culture has no vested interest in you. Doesn't know you intimately like your parents do. Culture and trends, they don't care about the weight that your decisions carry in your life. Get a little more life under your belt before you begin making life-altering decisions. 
This command was also in place to ensure that the elderly were taken care of by their families. So remember, treat your parents well because it may be the same way your kids treat you. So here's our first takeaway, which is tied to this particular command. Honoring our parents will allow us to live a more peaceful and fulfilled life. It works. Now, on to commandment number six. It says you must not murder. So God is the author of all life. He's given it and it is for him to take away, not us. Murder is never accepted in scripture. Now, exceptions are in place for killing in some cases, However, murder is always differentiated and is never acceptable because life comes from God and all life is sacred. Then we see this command get expanded in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Check this out. It says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Ooh. So while this command does address murder by the hand, it moves beyond that and covers how we relate to others. So why do people hate? First, it could be because somebody is in their way to success. Secondly, it's because someone may be a threat to their power or their popularity. Or because someone has hurt us. There's a saying that goes, hurt people hurt people. If someone is hurting you in some way, most likely someone has hurt them. And a lot of times in the same way that they're hurting you. And we act out when we're hurt. And Satan uses these things in our lives to produce hate in our hearts. Sometimes even to the point where we can actually wish harm and even death on others. Hate, resentment, Anger, revenge, these are powerful and dangerous tools that the enemy uses to get us to sin and to rob us of our trust in the Lord. We commit character assassination. We spread gossip and lies, both intentionally and unintentionally. We use words and social media to humiliate and to tear down others. These things are not pleasing to God. Scripture tells us that God is just. So what does that mean? It tells us to leave vengeance in his hands. Because as Christians, we can know and we can trust that God makes sure justice will be brought to all wrongdoing. Now, not all scores will be settled on earth. But make no mistake, God will make sure that justice will be brought to all wrongdoing, in all circumstances. And we're told that it's his job to do that, not ours. And when we hate, Christ is not being lived out in our lives. So here is our takeaway for this command. It's this. Releasing hate will free us and allow us to live a more peaceful and fulfilled life. Doing this should allow us to take the weight of evening the score with somebody and to release it into God's capable and trustworthy hands. So moving right along, 
Command number seven, you must not commit adultery. So again, we see a command that is in place to add protection to the family. See, we often underestimate, undervalue the importance of the marriage relationship. See, in Scripture, marriage is set apart. It's special. It's sacred. Scripture says that what God brings together, let nobody tear apart. If you're married, the husband, your wife, that's the most important relationship in your life. The most important human relationship in your life. A healthy relationship provides stability for the family. It fulfills your emotional and sexual needs, and it provides security for everyone within the home. And our kids need this from us. And nothing undermines all of these things like an unfaithful spouse. Proverbs tells us that adultery is more than a physical sin. All sexual sin actually kills us within. It destroys the soul. There's no other sin that promises so much and delivers so little. And Satan uses this to destroy the family and to break the godly lineage that Christian families are to produce. It leads to inner defilement, guilt, fear, lying to cover up, and it hardens our heart. It also leads to outer destruction of family, relationships, and oftentimes even careers are ended. Sexual relations are reserved solely for the marriage union. Anything outside of that relationship is not established by God. See, God wants sex reserved for the marriage because it is unique. It is exclusive, and it's a wonderful thing. It's a holy mystery and a powerful bonding agent that shapes and affects the relationship like nothing else can. And studies have shown this. The highest levels of sexual satisfaction are linked to marriage and traditional sexual ethics. Traditionalists rank an outstanding 31% higher in their level of sexual satisfaction than singles who have no objection to sex outside of marriage. The findings contribute to a growing body of research linking sexual satisfaction to marital harmony, fidelity, and permanence. So kids, or teenagers, young people, save yourself physically for marriage. That's often laughed at and thought of as old-fashioned, but it's not. Studies have suggested otherwise. Check this out. Researchers have not only found that sex is better in marriage, but it is best if you have had only one sexual partner in a lifetime. Physical and emotional satisfaction started to decline when people have more than one sexual partner. It's not just a physical decision. It's an emotional and a spiritual decision as well. 
And if you're an adult, reserve your body for your spouse or your future spouse alone. See, this principle doesn't change because of our age. Perhaps you've just never heard this before, or perhaps you have violated this in the past. It it can be confessed, and it can be forgiven. Now, there still may be hurt and loss from past decisions. However, you can always do the next right thing in life. So here's our takeaway for this command. Living a pure life will allow us to live a more peaceful and fulfilled life. So command number eight, you must not steal. So the human heart is incurably greedy, and it's only through Christ that we can overcome this. You know, the enemy tells us that we are owed things, right? We deserve things, and others have this or that, so I should be able to have the same. Right? Regardless of how I get it, it's only fair. This can come out in what we take. Are we earning with honesty and with integrity? This can also come out in what we do. Are we taking advantage of others? Are we being stingy? Are we not being generous with what we have? And it also comes out in what we keep. See, Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, or the government, give to the government what's a government, and give to the Lord what is the Lord's. Are we being honest with others, and are we honoring God with our wealth? Part of our theology of generosity at Valley Point is that everything comes from God. We're just managers of our wealth, not the owners. God only asks for a portion back, but do we keep it all for ourselves. So the takeaway for this command is this. Tithing and giving back to the Lord is a way for us to live a more peaceful and fulfilled life. Commandment number nine, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. As we mentioned before, this includes intentional acts and unintentional acts. So spreading rumors to preserve your own power or popularity is not pleasing to the Lord. It places ourselves as more important than others. And scripture tells us that we should love others as ourselves. We can also do this unintentionally. Have you ever shared something or posted something you thought was true or you thought it came from a reliable source, but you later found out it was not true and it hurt somebody's reputation? We were not resolved of guilt just because something didn't originate from our mouth. And this is a tricky thing. We find in the book of James, chapter 3, he speaks about this. Verses 5 through 10 say, But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises the Lord and Father. 
And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. And he closes with, surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. I don't know about you, but this one, it's a little bit too close to home. And we must stay vigilant when it comes to the words we say, the things we say to others, the things our children hear us say about others. So here is our takeaway for this commandment. Learning to tame the tongue is a way for us to live a more peaceful and fulfilled life. Not easy, but necessary. And lastly, coming in for a landing here is commandment number 10. We must not covet. Now, coveting is placing our own discernment and knowledge over God's. We're saying that we know better than what he does about what we need in life. Coveting is oftentimes where sin originates. So we begin to desire something that we're not meant to have. And if we don't deal with that, we engage in other sins to attain things that are not our own. See, in Scripture, David's coveting led to adultery, lying, murder, and breaking multiple commandments. The coveting takes the focus off of God and places it on our own desires. And how do we fight against these desires? Well, by being grateful and thankful to God for what we do have and trusting the Lord with our lives and making the decision to submit to his will and what he desires for us. By doing these things, we keep the focus on our relationship with God rather than what we possess. And if we return to our theology of generosity, God owns everything, so not just what we own, but what others own. So when we begin to look at the material things that others have, we lose sight of them as individuals loved by God. We define ourselves and we define others by what we have instead of who we are in Christ. We cheapen ourselves and we cheapen other people. So, here's our final takeaway for this commandment. Learning to be grateful for what we do have is a way for us to live a more peaceful and fulfilled life. See, Jesus took all of these commands and simplified them into one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who are your neighbors? Simply stated, everyone who isn't you. Your spouse, your kids, your co-workers, your actual neighbors, and everyone you interact with in life. Treat others well. You want a more peaceful and fulfilled life? I do. Then obey what God has commanded for us. Love him and love others. Remember, when the Lord issues a commandment, he is protecting us from something harmful, not restraining us from something good. Honoring our parents, releasing hate, living a pure life, tithing and giving back to the Lord, taming the tongue and learning to be grateful for what we do have are the keys to living a more peaceful 
and fulfilled life. God is good, and he is just, and he is trustworthy. We can trust him to know what is best for us, so let's live it out. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, for the helpful guidance that you have prepared and given to us in Scripture. Help us not to just read it as something for somebody else a really long time ago, but this is for us. Your guiding principles are just as effective and important for us today as they were thousands of years ago. Help us to lean in and obey you, but more than that, trust you to put our lives into your hands and say, you are capable. You love me beyond anyone else, so I trust you. For those who are struggling with that, I would pray that you would bring the trust into their hearts and into their minds. For those who have yet to discover your love, I pray that they would embrace you even today. Thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.